You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host as always. Today, we are talking about air conditioning, the technology there, where it's going, what it costs, what it means to people these days and how high tech it's starting to become. Zoning, iPads on the walls, those sort of things. We've got one man to talk to. He's our expert in that whole region. We've spoken to him before. It's Brad Stinson from Stinson Air and Solar. Brad, thanks for coming back in. You're welcome, Trent. Mate, back in the day, we had the wall unit. You still see a few of those around on the old cottage lots. Then we moved to evaporative uh, units. My grandma's still got one, got to keep the back door open. And it seems we've got this now, this mix of split systems and ducted reverse cycle systems that are essentially the same, similar technology, I would have thought. That's where we're at as a precipice and we're just adding cool little smart functions to it. Yeah, that's a good Is summary. that a good history of it? Can you give us a bit more depth to my very basic knowledge? Yeah, so certainly a lot of the, the box units that you talk about, the window unit, or some people would call them window rattlers. They were around a lot. I used to have one in my parents' uh, study, which me and my sisters would uh, sleep in on a really hot night. And With the streamers that was the only, coming off. The only aircon in the house. Yep. And that was sort of normal back then. That There wasn't a lot of air conditioning in houses, but it's you know prices have come down, technology's improved, and now it's become a real standard. So yeah, we've moved... To the split systems and the obviously evaporative air conditioning has been around a long while as well. Um, and, and the ducted reverse cycle has been around a long time as well, but it was always, you know, very expensive and only sort of for for the elite and top end homes. But now it seems it's a norm now. It's oh we you know the a you can still e- get evaporative. You can still get a wall wall unit, but how often are you installing those? Yeah, never wall units. Evaporative, very few. Some people like it, but you know they do struggle when it's really hot or it's really humid. And uh, day like a couple of days like we've had recently, we certainly get those complaints. And we certainly pull a lot of them out and swap them to ducted reverse cycle. Wow. So it's become sort of the norm. Wall splits are still very popular because there's some places you just can't fit the ducted system. So a lot of apartments and townhouses and, and the like, you know, we're still using a lot of wall splits. But in new homes, four by twos or you know large homes of any size, ducted reverse cycle has become the the standard well especially with your split systems if you're in an apartment it's sort of the way it works right i don't see many apartment buildings running ducted uh, reverse cycle through the whole facility more and more but often it's down to space might not have the space above the ceilings and underneath the concrete slab to fit the ducting in but we are seeing more and more of the mini ducted systems going into them but still more on the premium apartments but all the you know a lot of the cheap apartments would still just stick with the wall splits wouldn't it be also with regards to maintenance a lot easier to have and not probably not for the environment, but a lot easier to have 150 split systems that can individually be maintained rather than this big zonal consolidated systems that may just put out a whole sector of the of the building at once because one yes. area is out. In commercial office blocks is often the central plan option, but in apartments, it, it, you really have to have individual units because you know people need individual um, energy monitoring and the like. So and yeah, and for servicing, it is pretty simple that if unit. 112 goes down, well, only unit 112 goes down and, and we go and fix that. And the maintenance costs are a lot cheaper as well, I would have thought. Yeah, pretty cheap to run. You know, we always recommend a, a seasonal maintenance, but that's very cheap. And, you know, running costs, the systems are so much more efficient than they used to be in years gone by. Obviously, it depends on the amount of outlets as well and the, and the, the wattage. Can we get an idea what we're paying these days for a ducted reverse cycle system for a brand new house? <laughs> Good question, but um, obviously, you know, houses of all shapes and sizes, but we're probably seven to $12,000. Good range. And on some really big homes, we can that can hit triple figures. You know? Well, when you go two stories or three stories, it becomes much more complex. 
you've yeah, got these different styles of ducting. Yeah, can easily be talking 15, 20, 30,000 dollars and depends it's it's always case by case. You know, you always want to speak to a client and custom design and see what their needs are. A lot of it's his needs and and a lot of it's aesthetics as well. How do you want it to look? You know, if you want it to look nice, often unfortunately you've got to pay for that. Talking about paying for it, there's a few brands out there. You see Mark Taylor's Fujitsu on on the TV in the past. You've obviously got Daikin, there's Panasonic, there's, there's Samsung, as I understand it. There's a couple of others. There's a couple of Australian brands that I've heard of as well recently. Do you have a pick of the bunch and ones that you'd stay away from in regards to your history? I think it's like anything. You know, you get what you pay for and... We've always been very strong with Dakin as our premium product and they you know, recognised around the world as the world leaders. What sets them apart? You know, they only specialise in air conditioning, so they're not trying to make everything. They've got a bigger product range than any of their competitors. So as well as being, say, the premium brand recognised in Australia, they also often have biggest market share, which if you compared it to the automotive industry, you never see a Mercedes or someone having the premium recognition, but also the biggest market share, it doesn't happen. But because Dakin have such a wide range, products to suit any application, uh, they're used on a lot of projects with the residential and commercial. So they've got a lot of that space covered. We love the Panasonic as well, fantastic product. And also for more level entry, but without leaving all the sort of, you know, some of the cheap and nasty no-name stuff behind it, we also recommend the Samsung gear as well. Okay. How long are we expecting a ducted reverse cycle air conditioning system from a Daikin or a Panasonic to last? A yeah, good question. You've always, you know, you've always got your five-year warranty installed. You know, everything's covered. Jeez, I hope it lasts longer than that. Exactly. Um, and occasionally, you know, you get someone with a malfunction six or seven years in, and it's never a nice thing if someone has to go and spend a thousand dollars on a repair. It does happen, but it's the it is the minority. But most you would really like to think you're going to get twelve, fifteen, and there's many cases of people getting more than that. But once you get to longer than that, you've also got to weigh up like a lot of people out there now. Do I want to keep that system when it may be a new system might be forty old, or fifty percent more energy efficient than that old one? So I'm going to get my money back by putting in a new system. If I'm retrofitting or upgrading my VAP system into a reverse ducted, or even an older reverse ducted into a new reverse ducted. Am I having to pull out the whole system or can we leave all of the ducts and the ducting and the, uh, the vents and just replace the wall unit or the, the motor out the back or the, the panel on the wall? Can, yeah. Is it the whole thing? Good question. We get asked it, this question a lot and uh, it's not the nicest answer to receive because... Oh, don't tell me, bro. Unfortunately, you've got to pull it all out and start again and, and with pulling it all out, you generally need a sight bin to, to get waste it and yep. then you also, you should even patch the ceilings where the vents are and put them in, in new locations. So why? unfortunately, it ended up costing more. So why the good, the good question again with patching the vents and why we can't use the duct is the duct in evaporative is all larger size ducts. It's used to higher velocities of air where we need to use smaller diameter ducts for reverse cycle. So we have to replace all the all the ducting and, and it's laid in a different configuration with zoning and that for reverse cycle systems. So that all has to come out. Then with outlets, in an evaporative system in a typical house, you'll see the, the outlet just sort of just above the doorway. And that's designed so that you can crack the window open and the air will pass through the, say, the bedroom and out the window. Whereas in reverse cycle, we're gonna have that outlet above the window and we have the window shut and it's going to take the heat load off the window and the air is going to pass back through the bedroom and into the, the passageway where generally the return air grill will be in the passage. So the air is travelling a different direction. Now we would have a mix of people that would say well can we get away, we don't really want to patch the ceilings and paint the ceilings, it's already going to cost enough as it is. So we certainly do jobs where we'll put the outlets in those locations and basically point the vents all towards the window. It's not perfect, but it does the job. So we always give the clients all the facts and let them decide it will work, especially in smaller bedrooms. The air's gonna flow to the other side of the room and then draw back through the room. So, but um, yeah, good question. Jeez, 
That's disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> you look at it from a you know, lay person's point of view and it'd be, I guess you've had a, a few hard conversations in that space to convince people that you're not trying to rip them off. Yeah, I think, you know, you just give people all the facts and, um, you know, we pride ourselves on a lot of integrity. So we generally have people <laughs> believing what we say, we've been around a long time. So, um, but it's just, it, it's one of those things. It is what it is. To do it properly, you do it this way. They're still, we're still happy to do it the other way. We, we always say we can't use deducting. We've got to pull all that out. Um, and sometimes then the roof has got to be patched. And like I said, we need bins. So instead yeah. of it being a $7,000 system, it might be an $8,000 system yeah. because, yeah. because of the pullout costs as well. So Let's talk about technology in this space. It used to go to the panel, press on, and it was on. And yes. then you might have a timer and then you'd turn it off. These days, you've, you've literally got an iPad sitting there a lot of the time, don't you? What can you do with this? And how can we see in the future our air conditioner, or even today, talking to our Google Hub about automation. Yeah, so this is where we've seen the most advances. And to be honest, WA has led the world on ducted control systems. There's a couple of companies behind it. We are very strongly aligned with Advantage Air and their My Place, My Air systems. Fantastic technology. Like you say, going back, it was just turn it on, set the temperature, fan, you know, set the mode, and that was about it. Then zone systems came into play, but they were basic zone systems. So you might have, well, firstly, they were like, you know, the old systems were day, night. You either had the bedrooms running or the living areas. And if you wanted half and half, well, bad luck. Then we went to more zones. So we'd put four or five zones in a house and maybe pair a couple of rooms together. Um, but still those zones were either on or off, 100% on you know, or 0%. So then with this new technology, like the MyAir um, through the MyPlace uh, suite of products started to do variable air control so now we can crack the zones open maybe five ten percent twenty you know fifty whatever we want so if it's a maybe kids activity and they're in the bedrooms we might have those at a hundred percent or ninety percent whatever they you know preference are but then the activity that they're walking through maybe we set it at 50 because we want a bit of air there but we don't really need to waste it because we still want to get some air through to the living dining kitchen area so we've got a lot more control over our comfort in bedrooms again as an example different children might you know one likes it colder one likes it warmer so you can control the temperature in different rooms by controlling this airflow through the zone motors so it's become really popular second from that is that these, this control of the zones makes the systems more energy efficient. So this is a really big factor as well for me. So That's uh, money. It's money, exactly. So for an example, again, I'll use the bedrooms again. So we've got bedrooms two, three, and four. We might have always run, say, a 250 mil diameter duct to those rooms because 200 mil is too small, 300 mil is too big. But you know those three bedrooms, maybe one's 12 square meters, one's 14, and one's 15. So two of those bedrooms in the past were always getting too much air. And so now people just by use will feel, you know, they go, oh, it's a little bit cold in here. So they'll back that bedroom A off to, you know, maybe 90%, the second bedroom back off to 85%, and maybe the other bedroom they leave it 100% because it's down the end of the run and it needs a bit more air. And now there's less air going to those rooms. There's more air going to go to, say, the other. If the living room's on and family's out in the living room, there's more air now going to that space. And that room's going to get to temperature quicker. So now that's going to tell the thermostat, I can turn off sooner than I would have if I wasn't getting that extra amount of air. And so that's how this technology first is that comfort and then the energy efficiency. And then from there, for me, is the wow features that come with these products, you know, these types of products. So it isn't an iPad, but it looks like an iPad on the wall and it can be used like an iPad. It is a tablet and we can use it for anything. So they're becoming real home hubs in the home. So in, in not too distant uh, past, people were asking us to hide their air conditioning controllers in the hallway, often even in a pantry or a linen cupboard, they didn't want to see them. Now it's front and center. We want it in the kitchen, 
People want to maybe download a recipe and read it while they're cooking. They want to you know run their Sonos through this you know through this controller. Any other app controlled device in the home, they're now putting on their on these devices. And I know you know you've even spoken with Intelligent Home in the past, and their typical home there putting a lot of their apps. Maybe it's the Alarm.com or others on our, on our tablet that we're installing. So it's becoming a real home hub. And and another great wow feature is is the app control itself. So people are loving the fact that they're at work. And on a, you know, on a hot summer's day, 40 degrees at work, leave work, turn the air conditioner on. By the time they get home, it's on. Or, or another great example would be typical WA family gone down south for the weekend, get to about Mandra, got a car full of kids on the back Screaming seat. And when kids, you get yeah. home, you got to unpack. Well, get to about Mandra and turn that air conditioner on. At least you'll come home to a cool, comfortable home when you get home. So they're the big changes. And like I said, for me, it's brought extra comfort, it's brought extra energy efficiency, and it's brought these extra wow features. Optionality, and, really, yeah. isn't it? I mean, back in the day when you had the time, where you had to be prepared. Yeah, and, exactly. if, and if you were prepared and you were over-prepared and you decided, nah, we'll go out for dinner tonight, well, then you're wasting all exactly. this there on a house that's not even used. Exactly. Now, the ability to turn on and off as you need, that's got to help with uh, both just functionality, but also, as you said, cost. Yeah, and now it's linking to the lights, the garage doors, all sorts of other products, which can be now for a really affordable price, especially through this My Place gear. Um, people can put it, and people are putting it, the first two jobs we did, one was a first home buyer's house, you know, a little three-by-two villa, and the second one was a luxury home built in Mosman Park. So this technology is affordable and uh, and, and great functionality for, for everyone. Can we tell Siri to turn the aircon on yet? We can through Google, and I believe Alexa is on its way or maybe can do it already. Well, there you go. Yeah. These other assistants are obviously a little bit ahead. But yeah, that, the question is, yeah, that's fantastic. Voice, voice control is already here. Fantastic. Brad, that's a very concise but also a very informative update, I think, on where we're at with air conditioning and how that's really leading the way as a hub for the rest of our technology in our house. To go back to the start, we talked about how it's come down in price. Another just quick example is a typical, you know, we do some work for some big builders around town and a typical so in builder in that first home buyer's market, only five years ago, 5% of those homes would have had ductile reverse cycle. Now those same builders are putting in 75, 80% of their homes. First home buyers expect it now. It's become the norm. It's affordable, but it's also, you know, people are used to it. So that's sort of a big part of the future. I don't think as an investor or even as a homeowner with any level of uh, credence towards the value of their house, there was ever a good decision now to not install ducted air conditioning. Yeah. Unless you've got a very small villa where you might still be putting in split systems, to not have air conditioning in your home is a huge killer. Yeah, in both a rental space and a sales space. Yeah, no, correct. Across the board, it's nearly 100% of new builds, which is a lot of what we do as well as established homes. Um, but it's nearly 100% you know, of people are putting it in because it is an expectation these days. Bonus question. Obviously, it's helpful to just get it all done with a builder. Is there a cost saving to go straight direct to your air conditioning specialist like Stinson uh, Air Installer to get it done as a part of the house and land package, but not directly through the builder? Can you work in and save that $1,000 on builder margin? Not really. <laughs> um, we'd love people that are building with other builders to come to us, but the, the honest advice is you're going to get your best deal through the builders. Obviously, what WA's been through in the past few years with you know all sorts of incentives, the days of uh, builders putting big margins on air conditioning have gone. and They get volume discounts as well, don't they? They get discounts that we can't, you know, that we get also passed on to us that we can't share with, you know, consumers because 
you know, we may have to show a, a, a builder's purchase order to get that price, for example. So um, you are going to get the best deal generally through your builder, uh, not always, but most times. And in anything that's multi-story, you need to do it during the build process. You know, just so, too much stuffing around. Yeah, you, some people, some builders, you know, especially the smaller ones, will let you take it out of contract and use someone like us through the build process. But if it is multi-level, then yeah, the, you really need to ensure that it, it's you know it's done during the build process. It seems like. Like, and like a lot of things with a the build these days where it may not have been in the past, it seems like it's it pretty much just makes sense to build it into that product given the integration with the build schedule and also the volume discounts you can get. Even if you're paying a bit of margin on top, you're probably saving that back with the volume discount. Saving, yeah, saving all that back and then not having the disruption to your house. Maybe less things like exposed conduits because if it's getting put in after the event, whether it's single storey or two storey, may not be able to get controllers where you want them on walls that don't have cavities. Having trades work over timber floors and the like and over having to drop sheet over furniture. People don't like their ceilings getting cut open and dust, that fine layer of dust and you can drop sheet all you like but you're still going to get sort of fine dust throughout the house. So it really makes, with the price and for all those reasons, it makes sense just to do it during the build. Brad Stinson, thank you very much for coming and chatting air today. I really appreciate it. Let's uh, have a chat in the future about where all this technology is moving again. You're welcome. Anytime. Thanks, Trent. Okay, suburb spotlight time. Now we are talking about the inner west suburb, very notable suburb, beautiful suburb, quite new for its location really, Churchlands. Lots of history here. Pretty cool place to talk about in terms of history. A lot of people would be scratching their heads as to why it's called Churchlands. We've got the answer today. We've got uh, number one agents today. For the first time, we have a team in. A team has taken out and is the number one agent by value sold in Churchlands. It's Michael Hallam and Carl Casilli. Boys, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Thanks, Trent, for having us. All right, guys, let's run straight into some history. I want to know, before you were born, before I was born, before our grandparents were born, mm. what was this place? What did it mean to Perth? And how has that evolved up until 2020? There's two aspects to, to Churchlands. Originally, it was owned by the Catholic Church. So in the 1800s, it was bought from a Perth family. The whole suburb was bought by the Catholic Church, and then in time, parts of it sold off. So for the most part, Churchlands gets its name from the fact that it was owned by the Catholic Church at some stage. Most recently, we've had a subdevelopment within Churchlands itself, which is commonly referred to as Churchlands Green, which used to be the old Edith Cowan University site. What um, were they doing there? So that site had moved to Joondalup, where now Edith Cowan Joondalup is, and it's a subdevelopment where we see 250 to 300 homes in there, stereotypically on anything from 350 square metre blocks up to 500 square metres. Is that that fairly new estate where you pretty much every house is a beautiful two-storey home? Yeah, it is. A, a lot of them are two-storey homes because that build plot ratio, you get 90-10 in there. So in order to get the square living space meterage in there, most homes have had to go two storeys because stereotypically we're on that 350 to 370 square metre block. It's not just the relatively new mansions that we've got in Churchlands. You've got the Greens estate. What yeah. else is there, though? You've got several different pockets of church, and so what we say, there's a hyper-local markets within Churchlands itself. So you've got Churchlands Private Estate, you've got Abbey Brook Estate, you've got what we call Old Churchlands, and you've got Floriot Waters. So they all are typical eight to 900 square metre blocks built anywhere from the late 80s, so the early 80s, up until the mid-90s. So you do have a range of different properties within the area. If you could take your pick, which estate would you boys be in? 
Might be a personal choice. Personally, I like contemporary, I like modern, I like lock and leave, so I would certainly be Church and Screen. I think I'd be on the other side of Pearson, where I'd get views of Herdsman's Lake. It's almost the benefit of having two worlds. You get ocean views or lake views, if you like, and you get to live in almost inner city Perth by having those beautiful Herdsman Lake views. Bigger square meters as well? They are. So like Michael said, you're that... It's stereotypically 800 to 900 square metre blocks down that end. Probably a little bit more family orientated. Yes, they've got the older homes, but those homes have got great scope to be renovated. And a lot of blocks down there are subdividable as well, which is cool. We can talk about that later. Let's uh, talk about who's actually, you just referenced it then, who's living in churches. And I'm guessing the answer is because of these different estates and what they offer, there's an array of different people. Yeah, look, we definitely see majority of our buyers will be families. Churchens is surrounded by, without a doubt, some of the best public and private schools. You've got Churchens Primary, Churchens Senior High School, Newman College and Hale. So um, we certainly see a big influx of families coming through. I, I guess with the price point, it makes sense. There's not many first-home buyers that could afford to get in, right? Yeah, look, it's it certainly, we don't really see first-home buyers coming throughout Churchlands. It's certainly an aspirational suburb. It tends to be the buyer's second or third purchase. <laughs> Okay. Those people that are selling, are they the same people that are buying? Is it just a recycling of people uh, with young families staying in until their kids have gotten through high school and then moving on? Well, it depends which area. So like Michael said before, it's broken up into five different areas. Let's talk about quickly those people who are buying in. Stereotypically, those people who are buying into Churchins Green are our downsizers. So those that are selling in the larger blocks in City Beach and Florida who want a lock and leave downsize are moving into Churchins Green. And then we've got the younger families who want the larger living space who are buying into the older areas. Now, those who are selling in the older areas, we've got predominantly an elderly population who are selling to downsize. And then in Churchins Green, if we've got those younger those younger families who had bought in there when their children were younger and had sent them to the primary school, they've probably grown out of those homes now. So they're looking to take the next step into Florida and City Beach into those larger blocks. Okay, that, that makes sense. The socioeconomic space is probably fairly similar but the demographics do evolve as you go throughout Mm. the estates and people have different preferences. Yeah, without a doubt. Do you see a lot of people try and stay within the suburb? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We we certainly see a good mixture. And and what I've seen particularly over the last couple of years, there's been several different estates built up in and around the Churchins area, but the Churchins Green Estate has been really well maintained and really well developed. And what we've seen is that the older generation who have been living in the old pockets of Churchins for the last 10, 15 years, they're so accustomed to the area that they are also now making that move into church and screen. They don't want to leave the area. They love it, but they just don't want those big blocks to maintain anymore. So we see, it's funny, we see a hop from the young families who have outgrown church and screen to the other pockets of Churchlands and vice versa. We see the older demographic, the empty nesters where all the kids have moved out. They're now selling the big blocks and making the move up into Churchlands Green. Okay. Now, the last couple of months, we can noticeably see that a across many of the more premium suburbs in Perth, there's definitely been a swing of buyer-seller dynamic, really. It's, it's really tightened up across most agents that come here. They're saying the same thing. But given that Churchlands is a suburb that has a very strong push and also level of insulation because of Churchlands Senior High School, do you see over Christmas, January, a strange little peak in interest trying to get in 
before the school season starts? Yeah, without without doubt, and you've hit the nail on the head, especially round of that, that November, December, January, we see a lot of people trying to buy to get their children in and established before the school year starts in February. So if they can buy in, at least have the home under contract, then they can make an application to the high school and have their children accepted. Over the last three years, we've been selling anywhere from five to seven homes during that Christmas period. So let's talk about this Christmas period alone, that two week period between the end of December and the 1st of January, we sold seven in that area. And they were all people who wanted to get in to have their children get into the high school. Okay. Just demonstrates that not only is there a really a, a benefit for sellers to be aware of that time frame, whereas otherwise it might have been, you know, let's leave it till we get back in January, mm. February, uh, but also on a more macro level, it's a, it's a reason why Churchlands hasn't really suffered that much over the last five years in terms of prices when you compare it to surrounding suburbs uh, further east. It's It's got a, a contingent of people that will always be pushing to move in. Yeah, we it's been lucky in that instance. And look, you know, without a doubt, the market has been a roller coaster. It's been up and down over these last five year period. But because of the desirability of these schools, and look, particularly Churchins Primary, um, it's probably the most sought out public school within WA. Um, why? Well, why? It's just so highly in demand. Um, we actually see quite a few international people wanting to actually send their children to those schools and they're saying, hey, boys, we need to purchase within Churchins to get our children to there. Funny is that Churchins Primary, not even the entire catchment of Churchins itself, is within that catchment. So it's an interesting dynamic that primary school is just so highly sought after. All right, let's move on to some price points. If I want to get my kids into school in Churchlands, uh, or I just want to get in the suburb, how cheap can I get it done? If we're looking at Waterway, Waterway Court, Court yeah. um, and the likes where you're looking at one or two bedroom apartments, um, which aren't really conducive to families, because it kind of bucks the trend, why would you buy a two bedroom apartment if you want to move in for the schools? Having said that, you can get in. So there's $400,000 apartments that'll get you into Churchlands. Are they if new you enough? Want... Well, they're not. They're, they're generally built in the 80s. They're those older 80 constructions. Then you move into Churchins Green. We've got apartments in there, which we've sold recently, 920, 930. And they're three-bedroom apartments. It starts getting more expensive when you get into the green. Mm. It does. But if you want that quintessential home and you're a family into Churchins Green, around about that million-dollar price mark will get you in but they're far and few between okay um but you could probably pick up something in the 900s 800s older that would need a fair bit of work in the older suburbs of churches yeah look you know the and as we go back to that hyper local market you know that old pocket of churchlands depending where it is and as carl mentioned how livable that home is you can pick something up for a little bit over a million on 800 squares saying that you're going to have to spend some money on it Generally, your average price point in the older pockets of churches that you can move into, live, but you can add scope down the track, you're looking at about 1.25 to 1.3. So that's your quintessential home. Yeah, that, that's your average quintessential family home on 800 squares, four bedrooms, two, three bathrooms with a nice pool. Okay, how expensive can it get? What's the coolest, most ex- sexiest, expensive property you've seen in Churchlands? Um, well, the most expensive one we sold, which was for $3.7 million, um, And that was a, I guess the only way to describe it, it was like a grand manor home. It actually sat over six independent lots. So can I say it's completely left of field for what the average church's property is. It had 
nine bedrooms, I think seven bathrooms, a tennis court, a swimming pool, five separate living areas and parking for up to seven cars. So a completely different property. On the flip side, if you look into Churchins Green, where you've got these amazing, contemporary, stunning, beautiful homes, um, you know they sell anywhere up into two and a half million dollars. Well, it just shows that even if you were going in there to uh, spruce the place up, you couldn't really overcapitalize. No, not really. Sky's the limit. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about subdivision. You, you've pointed out surprisingly enough to a lot of people that there might be some opportunities, especially in the older estates there. I'm guessing a lot of that's just turning one into two. Yeah, correct. Absolutely. You're um, seeing a bit of it? Yeah, look, we generally sell probably anywhere from two to five um, properties that can subdivide per year. Um, we that's have, not a lot. No, it's not a lot. Um, but there still certainly is opportunity out there. Um, we don't, it's, there's no R30, so it is all R20, so it is simply just cut down the middle. Some, depending on where it's located, are simply Battleaxe properties. But mm. look, you know, generally three to five per year is what will come to market. Is anyone making any money off of these, or is it more just trying to buy into a location and then deleverage? I don't, look, I don't think there's uh, big profit margins from buying subdividable blocks in Churchlands. Um, look, I, I guess it depends where they are. Um, we've just sold one on Empire Ave in Churchlands. Now, it is subdividable, but a lot of the times, just because something is, doesn't mean that there's any worth in doing it. Doesn't just because you could doesn't mean you should. Yeah, exactly right. And, and we use we say that quite a few times. You know, um, if the numbers don't make sense, you, you're just buying something that you could. So it's not a bad idea to land bank if the family wanted to subdivide. Mum and dad buy something for the children down the road and and divide it and give one child each. Yeah. So really, that's well, where I see the a work lot of is. that, right? See, yeah. Through a lot of the premium suburbs, north and south of the river, in the last six months especially, there's been a push in development block prices, or at least demand for development blocks, because people believe the people that are in the know believe that the market's moving, and even before they see any data on whether it be profitable in the first place, they're just looking to acquire land. Yeah. That's all they're doing. Well, look, there's one thing that they'll never make more of. And that's land. That's right. You know, we'll always make homes. Um, homes are, for the most part, a depreciating asset where land is an appreciating asset. And they will just never create any more land. They just can't. Um, so people will always be attracted to subdividable blocks in the hope that one day you can and make some decent money on the back of it. I couldn't have said it better myself, Carl. All right, let's talk about median house price. Hit me with it, boys. Uh, 1.275. Okay. For your suburb of Churchlands. So if you have $1.275 million in your pocket, and I'll get two answers today. Mm-hmm. I hope they're different because it's personal. It's a personal yep. answer. Yep. What would you boys be doing with $1.275 million cash in your pocket in Churchlands? That's a tough one. If I was to buy a home to live in, I would take that to Churchlands Green. If I was looking to possibly add some scope or do a flip, I would be looking at the old pocket of Churchlands. Okay, give me some, just be very specific. What is the old pocket of church? Um, okay, I would be looking down Lakeside Road, Thornbill Way, Halcyon Way. It's, it's what we call the old pocket of church. It's across the road from Church and Screen, as Carl alluded to before. It's got beautiful views across the lake. It's got amazing views to the city. The orientation of some of these homes have got amazing views straight to the city with north facing backyards. So, from an orientation point of view, you could not ask for better. At that price point of one two seven five, you can certainly pick something up really nice, living, but you could certainly add value down the track. Okay, I would buy an Abbey Brook Estate, which is 
Churchlands, which runs between Churchlands High School and Newman. Explain the lifestyle there. Yeah, so beautiful, leafy suburb. There's only two streets into it. Um, there's only about 40, maybe 50 homes in that small little... It's a small little enclave, very private. There's no through roads. You don't drive through there to get somewhere else. The roads are brick paved. There's massive amber trees that line the roads. And you've got scope to add value without overcapitalizing. So I'd spend my 1275 in there, probably spruce it up and look at maybe selling and getting out and buying something else. But the lifestyle is beautiful. There's a little brook that runs through the back. It's quiet. It's private. And 1275, you'd almost have the pick through there as well. Wow. That's a very good... Look, we've got the double the trouble today. I really appreciate <laughs> you've got two, two levels of perspective as well from what I can hopefully say is two slightly differing demographics too, so which is important. <laughs> we've got the younger end of Churchlands and, and probably the median end of Churchlands. You should have a, a trio here yeah. sitting in the, in the late 50s who can give us the back end of Churchlands as well. I'm the younger end. Oh, <laughs> I'm just saying that. Thanks, Trent. You're very good. Unlucky, Mike. <laughs> Boys, thank you very much for coming in. And all I can ask, is go and find uh, go and grab Woodlands or something like that I'd I'd love to have you in again for another conversation yeah absolutely thank you so much Ryan thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show if you've only just joined the conversation you can catch up by heading over to our website perthpropertyshow.com.au subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights local analysis and suburb spotlights Happy hunting!